Okay, hello everybody, this is SD Falchetti, and you are listening to the podcast of Hayden's World. Today, we are looking at the behind-the-scenes science of Erebus. Erebus is a short story about a mysterious trip to a planet at the edge of the Oort Cloud, and a rescue mission that goes awry, so be sure to check it out. In 2008, a physicist in Honolulu tried to save the world with a restraining order. Some feared that the Large Hadron Collider would create small black holes or, worse yet, strangelets. It's easy to wrap your mind around why a black hole on Earth could be problematic, but what exactly is a strangelet? If someone were to mail you and assemble your own proton kit, you would unwrap it to find an instruction sheet, three quarks, and a tube of gluons. Two of your quarks are up quarks, and one is a down quark. You glue the three together with your gluons, and voila, you have a proton. This is so much fun that you hop on Quantum Amazon and order some more quarks. There are six choices. Up, down, charm, strange, top, bottom. You can make all kinds of particles depending on the combination you choose. Feeling adventurous, you buy an up, down, and strange quark. Because it's Quantum Amazon, it arrives before you order it, which is weird, and you hastily glue the pieces together. Voila! You've made a strangelet. Poof! It instantly decays. Well, the fun was in the process, anyway. It's probably a good thing that it decayed. Strangelets that are stable and large can be problematic, in particular if they have a negative charge. Like Star Trek's Borg, negatively charged strangelets can assimilate anything they touch. Hence, the 2008 concern that the LHC would destroy the world. Fortunately, these types of strangelets can't be created in a particle accelerator. CERN even released a press statement to calm people's fears, and the restraining order was dismissed. In Erebus, much of the story takes place at our solar system's fictional ninth planet. When I grew up, there were nine planets in our solar system. That is, until 2006, when Pluto's 76-year reign as Planet 9 ended with its downgrade to a dwarf planet. Pluto was downgraded because we found other Plutos. Astronomer Mike Brown discovered Eris in 2005. Eris also orbited the Sun and was even bigger than Pluto. So, either Eris needed to be declared a planet, or we needed to adjust our criteria for planets. Before you cast your vote, I should probably tell you that there are 70,000 more Plutos. That's a lot of new planets to memorize. Most are small, but several are Pluto-sized. Eris, Sedna, Makemake, and Hamia, to name a few. Keep in mind that several of our solar system's moons are bigger than Pluto. Saturn's moon Titan, 1,600 miles wide, is not only larger than Pluto, 737 miles wide, but bigger than Mercury, 1,516 miles wide. Our own moon, 1,079 miles wide, is bigger than Pluto. So, the International Astronomical Union needed to come up with rules to be a planet in our solar system. You need to orbit the Sun, you need to have sufficient mass to achieve hydrostatic equilibrium, a nearly round shape. You need to have cleared the neighborhood around your orbit. The cleared the neighborhood clause is what demoted Pluto and all its smaller cousins. As it turns out, some of those smaller cousins are a bit peculiar. Most things in our solar system orbit in the same plane around the sun, but not these guys. 
Sedna and a few others have eccentric orbits. Imagine holding a stack of six hula hoops in one hand. Keep holding them, but fan them out, each tracing an orbit which connects with your hand. Your hand is the sun. Now, like a magician, take another hula hoop and intersect it with the first group, linking them together. This is the orbit of a common gravitational point which is responsible for fanning out your hula hoop collection. Whatever it is, it has to be big, several times Earth's mass, to tug all of the other orbits the way it does. And so our ninth planet is theorized. For a good illustration of the hula hoop orbits, visit the American Astronomical Society. En route to Erebus, Hitoshi comments that he's the red shirt in the story after receiving a radiation burn from a high-energy particle passing through his arm. For a famous example of this, read the story about Russian physicist Anatoly Petrovich Bugorsky. In 1978, he accidentally placed his head in the path of a 76 gigavolt particle accelerator beam. The beam passed through the back of his head nearly at light speed and exited under his left eye socket. He describes seeing a flash brighter than a thousand suns. Amazingly, despite some nerve damage and facial paralysis, he survived. He absorbed 3,000 grays of radiation. Usually, five is lethal. He is still alive today. In Erebus, the group encounters a cryovolcano. Although it sounds like something out of fantasy, cryovolcanoes are real, ejecting ice instead of magma. The Cassini spacecraft took some fantastic pictures of icy plumes coming off Enceladus. As Isaac stated, NASA has already solved the problem of drilling through icy shells. Jupiter's moon Europa has a global ocean which may harbor life. Finding a way through the kilometers of ice above it is a challenge. The probe that Isaac references in the story is based on the real-life cryobot, which looks a bit like a torpedo, and is designed to melt slowly and steadily through Europa's ice. When it does, just like James's encounter on Janus, we may find one of the most profound discoveries of humanity. I hope you enjoyed the science behind the story of Erebus. If you enjoy audio content like this, be sure to pick up my audiobook, 43 Seconds. It's professionally narrated by the very talented Shaman Casey, who is the voice of James Hayden. You can find 43 Seconds on Audible or any place where audiobooks are sold. So thanks for listening once again, and as James Hayden would say, keep dreaming big, everyone.